0: Sweet hour of prayer. I need thee every hour, most.
1: That ought to make a Baptist shout, huh? Amen. How many of you are glad you're saved tonight? Amen. Well, put a smile on your face so we know it. <laughs> Boy, some of you look so mean out there. I'm scared to preach tonight. Amen. I was glad when they said unto me, let's go into the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. And no better place you can be tonight. Television, television hasn't got what we got tonight. Amen. Amen. I I'm just afraid that we're just uh we're more excited about being in the world than we are about being in the house of God. The Bible says that the friend of the world is at enmity with God. James, we talked about that last night in James 4, he calls us adulterers and adulteresses. And he says, draw an eye. Amen. Become the house of God. Come happy. Amen. (laughs) You know what? You can choose happiness or you can choose misery. You can choose to enjoy or you can choose not to enjoy. I remember sitting in church one day, and I was a typical teenager. And uh, it just hit me. I'm in church not because my parents make me. I'm here because I want to be. I hope you're here tonight because you want to be, not because you're trying to please the preacher or anybody else, amen, just want to be, amen. Thank God for your pastor. You love your preacher? Yeah. That's almost good. You love your preacher? Yeah. That's better. He's the best preacher in the world, amen? Yeah. Amen. Don't ever put anybody above your pastor. Everybody comes to ask me to sign their Bible. I say, has your pastor signed it yet? Because I'm not pa- signing your Bible until your pastor signs it. You get a new Bible, the first person ought to sign it is your preacher. Amen. Well, you got a wonderful pastor, a wonderful pastor's wife and their family. it have been a joy to be with them this week. I have been so blessed. Amen. And uh, I have been blessed by you. Thank you for your faithfulness. This is a this is a wonderful church, and, and and just don't miss it. Sometimes you get into something and you just get you get uh, you just get where you just uh, you take things for granted. Husbands take their wives for granted. Amen. Wives take their husbands for granted. Parents, I mean, children especially take their parents for granted. Don't do that. Well, i tell you what. One of the greatest things in the world God ever gave you was parents. Amen. Boy, my mama, I know she changed a lot of dirty diapers. picked up, Cleaned up a lot of vomit. That's crude, isn't it, Brother Houston? I know I'm from the country. We're kind of crude. Amen. Let me say this about your pastor if I could. We as pastors want our people to live righteously in things, but the most important thing we want is our people to be faithful. I pastored for 26 years. I had people in my church that they never really grew very far. They just never became real spiritual. But you know what? I loved them. You listening? And really, the only thing I really that that really that hurt me is when they weren't faithful to church. I want you to understand something. A message is a meal. The Bible is the milk and it's the bread and it's the meat. And so here's what your pastor does for every service, every Sunday school, everything he teaches, he labors to prepare you a spiritual meal. He prays, he weeps, he studies. He begs God to give him what his people need spiritually to feed them. And he's got this meal all prepared, and and then people don't come. I always try to help this. Ladies will understand this. It's kind of like you ladies. You've got Thanksgiving planned. And everybody's supposed to show up at 1130. Well, here's what you do: You get up about two o'clock in the morning, put that bird in the oven, Amen. Get that thing cooking. Put those potatoes on to boil. You might go back to bed for a little bit and get up about four o'clock or so, or six o'clock, and you start working on that turkey, Amen. Start working on those mashed potatoes and gravy, and well, I think we ought to just cancel church and go eat, Amen. And you're watching that clock. Can't wait till the folks come to eat. Everybody ought to show up early. Ought to show up early to church. Then your pastor doesn't have to fret and ask, wonder if they're going to make it tonight. I'm just trying to help you. (laughs) So there you fix this meal, and then it comes 11.15, and nobody's there yet. 11.20, and nobody showed up. 11: 11:30, 11:45, and you realize they're not coming. What does that do to you? Okay, see, that's what happens to your pastor's heart when he's prepared a message for you and you don't show up. Now, I ask where I go to every church, Am I sitting in somebody's seat? I ask that, and people say, no, oh, no, 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 you sit anywhere you want to. I know that. I understand that. And if you get upset because I sit in your seat, I hope you'll get over it. <laughs> but I also used to tell my people, make sure you sit in your seat. You want to know why? Because then I can stand behind the pulpit and just scan the auditorium, and I know who's here and who's not. And I tell you, I'm always excited about who's here. But I'm always burdened about who's not. And something inside my heart begins to say, Wonder why they're not here. I wonder if there's a problem. Have they gotten mad about something? You know, God says, Well done, thou good, and not successful, not perfect. just tell you be in your place every time the doors are open come early amen it'll help amen I just thought I'd get that out to you amen because I tell you what I know you got a pastor that feeds you every time he comes behind this pulpit amen amen well I want you to take your Bibles this evening turn with me to Matthew chapter five I preached very lengthy last night and uh I don't try to preach lengthy, but I just want to make a statement, if I can, to try to help us. Isn't it sad that we've decided to limit God? Isn't it sad that our schedule is more important than God's schedule? Here's what we've said to God. Now, God, you've got from 11 o'clock a.m. to 12 noon, and then I'm done. It might just be that God wants to send revival at 12.30. But we've said, God, now this is all the time you have. Can I tell you something? I don't belong to myself. I'm bought with a price, I'm not my own. And whatever God wants for me and is designed for me, I don't want to say to God, I don't want what you want. I'm not not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to preach late. I'm not trying. I just want to help people. You know, we ought to get over that. My dad was kind of that way, he was always kind of watching the clock. He told me one day, he said, you know, the preacher decided we would start at, instead of start at 11, we'll start at 1045 so we can get out on time. He said then the preacher just had 15 more minutes to preach. Amen. (laughs) And I used to think, Dad, why does that bother you? I love my dad with all my heart. Why is that such a big deal? You know, we went home, we ate. Well, you can eat at 1230 just as well as you can at noon. Sit down and watch the football game. Well, they're mostly on all Sunday afternoon, amen, unless you're, you know, I don't know what you folks love around here, do, uh, the, the, uh, the Bengals, the Browns, the Browns, that's it, <laughs> amen, amen. Well, Matthew chapter 5, thank you for being faithful, I mean that with all my heart. They appreciate that song about the Bible, amen. The Bible has not changed. I used to tell my folks this if it's true, if it's new, it's not true, and if it's true, it's not new. I just get tired of hearing the same thing over again. Well, there ain't really anything else to give you. Paul said in the book of Philippians, he said, For me to write the same things to you indeed is not grievous, but for you, it is necessary. I'm an old teacher. You know what we were taught? Repetition, repetition, repetition. How many of you know that you have to tell your children the same things over and over and over again? And we are God's children. And God says you need to hear things over and over Take some time and compare all of the epistles of Paul. And you'll find that Paul just basically says the same thing to every church. Wow, why? I don't know about you, but see, I'm God's dumb boy. Lily, I'm God's dumb boy. My wife graduated from college summa cum laude. I graduated. Please come, Lord, before I have to take this test. Amen. I got a degree in physical education. All I got to do is know how to throw a ball out. Amen. I'm God's dumb boy. You know, I I, I have to be told a lot and whipped a lot before I get it. My dad whooped me a lot. Took me a long time to learn something. I hope you're smarter than that. Well, if you've been here all week, you heard don't miss your opportunity on Sunday. I hope you've not missed what God had for you this week. I hope you've not said, you know what, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. That's not what that song's about. I told the young men today, we had a little session together. I'm going to tell you this, I mean this. We're meeting tonight, the devil's here. The devil don't miss church. Because the devil comes to steal from you what God did. Listen to me, that, that parable of the sowers, that applies to revival too that fell by the wayside and the birds devoured it. The devil is in the service right now, and if I say something that the Holy Spirit speaks about, the devil's going to do something to try to take it from you. When you walk outside the door, he'll try to take from you. Many of us don't even get home before everything we, we heard and how we were moved is totally gone. We turn on the worldly radio. We go home and flip on the television set. And all of a sudden, the decision I made at the altar, I don't even, I don't even carry it out for an hour. I'm not trying to be mean, I'm trying to help you. God spoke to people this week, and the devil's gonna do everything he can to take it from you, so your life is not changed and the and the world is not affected. Then he says some of it fell on stony ground, had not Matruja sprung up, but when the sun came, and he tells us that when a person accepts the word and he's going to try to live it, then tribulation or persecution come. Can I tell you, if you made a decision this week, look out. Something's going to happen in your life that's going to try to to make you get back in the rut you were in. Car's going to break down. You're going to try to witness to somebody, and they're going to be ugly to you. You're going to say, I ain't doing that soul winning no more. Amen. Amen. Third thing is those that that were in the uh, were, were planted, they sprung up, and then the 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 the, uh, the 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 weeds choked them out. Jesus said, "That's the ones where the 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 the, uh, the 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 cares of life and the deceitfulness of riches choke it out." Can I tell you a thing that hinders all most good Christians like you folks? And what hinders us? Life, the cares of life. I got bills to pay. You do, and you need to do that. And I got all this stuff I got to do, and you do. By the way, we have, hor- we have vertical responsibility that God says, this is what you need to do for me. Then he goes and gives this horizontal says, husband, you need to love your wife. You need to take care of your children. You need to raise your children. You need to go to work. You need to pay your bills. You need to be a good employer, a good employer. You need to be, and I said, man, God, I've, I've got to serve you, and then i got to do all this too. And by the way, if you don't do this, it's a sin. And if you don't do this, it's a sin. So we're in this battle, and what happens is the cares of life begin to press us down. And we say, God, you know, I, 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 I can't focus on you because i got to focus on all this. And i got news for you. Revival's over. You're going to get back into rut, going to work, taking care of the lawn, all that kind of stuff. And guess what's going to happen? A week from now, you won't be any different than what we were when we started the revival. I'm just trying to warn you. But that last group, they, they brought forth 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Get this statement. I'm going to preach my message in a minute. You better have a determination that equals your determination. What do you mean, Brother Houston? When you came to the altar, you made a determination. God, I'm going to soul win. God, I'm going to do this or that. And I'm going to stop doing this, going to stop doing that. So you made a great determination in your life. So you jump back up and hear, well, it's going to happen. No, it isn't. It's not going to happen unless you're determined to make it happen. Listen to me, get this. God will never make you do anything, and God will never keep you from doing anything. He will move on your heart to make the right kind of decisions and know what you ought to do, but He will not make you. I'll use this illustration, I'll get in the message. Uh, I, quit, I played football in high school, and I, I laid out two years at junior at junior college because the coach there didn't like my coach, and none of the guys from my school got to play. But I missed football so bad, I determined I was going to play football someplace. A couple of friends of mine were playing at a college named Bethany College, and so I talked to them. They said, oh, Ted, you can come up here and play. So I heard that the recruiter was going to be at my high school, so I went over there as a, as a sophomore in college and talked to the recruiter. He said, what do you play? I said, I said, defensive back. He said, we don't need any. I said, well, can I come anyway? He said, well, I guess, but we don't need any. He's too undried to discourage me. I said, well, can I come anyway and walk on? He says, yeah, here's the coach's phone number. Call him. So I called the coach. The coach got the workout for the summer, and I worked out. I walked in on the first day for practice for the newbies, and I walked in, and they said, who are you? I said, I'm Ted Houston. Well, who are you? I said, I'm Ted Houston. Who are you? I'm Ted Houston. Well, what are you doing here? I came here to play football. Nobody knew me. My mom said, I talked to the head coach, so they holler at Coach, hey, there's a guy by the name Ted Houston here. You know anything about it? Yeah, I'll give him some equipment and a locker. Wow, what a what a great welcome. I walked into the gymnasium that day and I went up and I said, somebody tell me where the defensive backs are. They pointed to me, so I went up and said, Hey, my name's Ted Houston. I, I said, which one to use the best defensive back? They said, he's not here yet. I said, when he gets here, you show me who he is. And you know what I did his name was Larry Archuleta. You know what I did every time Larry Archuleta was in a in a drill Ted Houston was in the drill facing him or next to him. You see if I'm going to play football I'm going to have to have a determination that will see me to the point that I get that starting position. And I did get it. But it didn't happen because I made a decision. I said okay God Sure, waiting for that to happen. I'm going to tell you something. Don't you make a vow to God and defer to pay it. When you hit the altar this week and you made a decision and told God you're going to do something, you better do it. And I don't care how difficult it is, I don't care what it takes, you better determine in your heart, I told God I was going to do this and I am determined to do it. I don't care how long it takes, I don't care how hard I have to work, I don't care how many times I fail. You know, it's sad to me that athletes have more dedication to sports than Christians do to Christ. Amen. I can't even remember the scores of except one game I coached in six years. Only one game. I'm not like these guys at football camp, brother, brother O'Donnell. I don't even know what happened last year. The only thing I remember about football camp was a couple two couple, a couple years ago when I yelled at your pastor. I was so wicked. I remember the wicked. By the way, I was ashamed of it. Can I tell you something? I'm still ashamed of it. You should never think that sinning is something that's okay. Are you ashamed when you sin? We all sin. And you're going to have a hard time not sinning. I think it's impossible for us not to sin until we get to heaven. But we should never take it lightly. And we should always be ashamed. Israel got to the place where the prophet said to him, God said to him, Were you ashamed of your sin? Could you blush? He said, Nay, you were not a sin, ashamed, neither could you blush. We've lost our shame and our blush in Christianity today. Want to have a revival? Start getting ashamed of your failure. Confess it. God forgives you. But don't just blow it off like, no big deal, I did it. No, I did it. I'm ashamed I did it. I don't want to do it. We'll never have revival as long as we're okay with sin. Amen. Well, take your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5. I'm gonna. After I pray, I'm gonna I'm gonna say, "Be seated tonight, okay?" <laughs> I've had a problem with that. I'm just so anxious to get going. I'm like the racehorse in the gate. Amen. Matthew chapter three five. Stand with me, please, uh, to this uh, to this passage. I want to finish out right. This is a very simple message tonight, uh, but I hope that you will open your heart. I hope when I pray that you'll pray. Lord, uh, speak to me tonight personally. Matthew chapter five verse thirteen our savior is speaking i have said several times this week when jesus speaks we ought to listen jesus is speaking to his disciples not just the apostles but to his disciples jesus had 12 apostles but he had a group of people called disciples the word disciple actually means a follower of a of a teacher Someone who has dedicated themselves to follow a teacher or follow a certain person in their, in their, in their ministry or in their leadership. And so he says to his disciples in a, a chapter 5, verse 13, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and trodden underfoot of men. Ye... Are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I am so certainly grateful for your love for me, that you would love sinners. As the song said, I'm glad God saves all sinners. I'm so glad. I'm glad not only that you love sinners, Lord, but I'm glad that you love your children. And I'm glad that it is a never-ending love. I'm glad, Lord, that when your children do wrong, you love us enough to chasten us, But you never leave us nor forsake us. I'm glad you do not kick us out of your family because we failed you. Because if that was what you did, I would have been kicked out of the family of God a long time ago. I'm thankful that you want to use imperfect human beings. Lord, I am reminded that the only people you have are your children that you have placed yourself, as the Bible says, to depend upon the foolishness of preaching. And that tonight, Heavenly Father, as it has been down through the ages, you are depending on us. Lord, may we understand that, 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 that awesome truth. You have no hands but our hands. You have no feet but our feet. You have no mouth but our mouth. You have no eyes, no, nothing. You, you have chosen to place yourself where you are dependent upon us. And you have placed yourself in a position of having to depend upon us to do your work. God, may we realize what an awesome privilege that is and what an awesome responsibility it is. May we realize that if this world is going to be changed, it will not be changed unless we Christians do the work that we need to do so that you can do the work that you need to do. Akron, Ohio is depending upon Community Baptist Temple tonight. And, and, and God, it's depending on each individual here tonight. And so, Lord, may You help us. May we just something stir inside our heart that we rise up and say, "You know what? I am going to to, to be a force for the cause of Christ." Father, bless the message tonight. I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated, <laughs> Amen. In this passage of scripture, Jesus has recently called unto him his disciples. They followed him on a short tour of preaching. And now he's led them up into a mountain. He begins to teach them what is referred to by Christians as the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us how to be blessed. Those are called the Beatitudes. And it's interesting that how he tells us to be blessed is exactly the opposite of what we think. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst. (laughs) That's not blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say, oh, man, are you, wait a minute, Jesus. <laughs> that, that, uh, that's not the way I like to see it. You know, God's trying to teach us something that you and I, we shun away from the things that really make us a powerful Christian. We want life to be what we want it to be, but we need to accept life the way God wants to be, and we need to say, Lord, I want you to have your perfect will and way in my life, and I want to, I want to have your blessings, and I want to be a blessing. And then in this passage of Scripture here, he, uh, he says to them these words. I want to make a statement now. I want you to get the, the most, the, the greatest thing in all the world is being a Christian. Can I get an amen right there? Everybody say amen to that. And I want to make a statement too. Even if there was no heaven or hell, I'd still want to be a Christian. Why, Brother Houston? Because if you live according to that book, you're going to have a wonderful life. If you live according to that book, you'll never be a drunk. If you live According to that book, you'll never be a drug addict. You live according to that book, you'll never commit adultery. You'll never murder anybody. You'll never even say something you shouldn't say to somebody. Yeah, it's just a terrible thing to be a Christian. No, it's the most wonderful thing in the world. And going to heaven, I mean, I don't even have to say that, but I think sometimes, you know, we were singing tonight, and I just get to think and preach. The reason we don't sing out loud is because we've gotten over it. My pastor, Brother Barton, said it's the common salvation, not the commonplace salvation. What does that mean, common? It's for everybody. It's a common. Anybody can have it, but we've got where it's commonplace. You saved? Yeah. Going to heaven? Yeah. It's like it's just as common as going in and picking up a piece of cheese and eating. It's no big deal, you know. Don't excite us. I just want you to understand something. You, you don't, don't be miserable. You know, the devil makes you miserable. Your flesh makes you miserable. All those people you hang around with that criticize Christ and Christianity, get away from that crowd. Amen. And so you need to be friends of them in the, in the aspect of winning them to Christ, but you don't need to hang around with them so they can mock and criticize and make you quit loving Jesus. Amen. If you're running with a crowd that's mocking Christianity, you ought to pray they get saved, witness to them, and get away from that junk. Amen. I'm glad that I know Jesus. I don't sing very well. Amen. know what you're thinking. You wish you could sing. Now you wished I could. Somebody asked me to sing a solo. So low they couldn't hear me. Amen. And here he states to them, "Ye are the salt of the earth. Ye are the light of the world. I'm going to look at that simple phrase tonight and hope it will be a hope to you. understand something. The word ye here, he's talking to his disciples. And I want to just say this tonight. If you're saved, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He didn't say that the lost person was the salt of the earth. He didn't say that the lost person was alive. Can I tell you something? I thank God for our representatives. I thank God for those who are our leaders. I thank God for, for all men in, our, in, in the world that are wonderful people. But I'm going to tell you something. If they're not saved, they are not the salt of the earth, and they are not the light of the world. You are. Get it figured out tonight. You as a Christian, you are are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. He also uses the word are. He doesn't say you might be. Well, son, you might be the salt of the earth. That's not what he says. You are the salt of the earth. Well, brother, you might be the light. No, you are. Get it down. You and I that are saved, we are the salt. We are the light. There is no other salt, and there is no other light. A lost professor in a college is not the salt. A lost preacher in the pulpit is not the salt. Amen. A lost politician in Washington is not the salt and they are not the light. You know, it's, it's a simple message. I'm putting the cookies on the lower shelf here. Ye are, the next word is thee. Preacher, I preach the whole sermon on the word thee. You know, I used to tell my folks little words are very important. Is, thee, I like the little word but when God butts in. Wages sin is death. But, <laughs> the gift of God is eternal life. And you know what that word thee says? That word thee says, I am talking about only one thing. I am, I am differentiating. I am simply saying, look, I could say to you, I want to illustrate this. I could say to you, tonight, I could say, hey, we have a piano. Well, that means we could have some other pianos. But when I say that is the piano, I have simply said now, you cannot look for any other piano. That's why when it says Jesus said, I am the way, there is no other way. I am the truth. There is no other truth. I am the life. There is nobody else who can save us except Jesus. He is the Savior. Not a Savior. It did say a Savior which is Christ the Lord. Amen. Amen. And that was okay because the angels were announcing it. But then it became very clear from the teachings of God's word that there is only one Savior. Amen. Can I tell you how I know Jesus is the Savior? Because he fulfills all the prophecies. You know Jesus couldn't be the Savior if he wasn't born of the seed of Abraham. He couldn't be the Savior if he wasn't born of the tribe of Judah. He couldn't be the Savior if He wasn't born of the seed of David. He couldn't be the Savior if He wasn't born in Bethlehem. He couldn't be the Savior if He wasn't born of a virgin. You know, there's no reason for anybody to say that there's any other Savior in the world because Jesus is the Savior. And He says of you and I that you and I that are saved, we are the salt and the light. So I want you to get this. You've got to get this. The only salt in this world and the only light in this world is you. You What our problem is, is we're dependent on lost people to try to make the difference in this world. Are you listening to me? I'm, I'm for educators. I was one. But I was taught to be a humanist, Brother O'Donnell. I didn't even know it. I believe there are a lot of good teachers in our schools who don't understand that they have been turned into a devil's tool. I was taught teach sex education until God finally opened my eyes and showed me that teaching sex education is teaching fornication. It's saying to a child, here's how you have safe sex. God says you're not supposed to commit fornication or adultery. So it's only you and I that know the truth and have it. We're the only ones that can make sure people know what's true. He said, ye are the." Notice he says, ye are the salt. I'll come back to it in a minute. He says, ye are the light. I'll come back to it in a minute. But what's the next statement? Ye are the salt of the what? Earth. Ye are the light of the what? Okay, now listen to me. I want you to get this. He didn't say you're the salt of your church. Hello? He didn't say you're the light of your Christian school. He didn't even say you're the light of your home. Now, I want to say this. You are in your home, and you are in your church, and you are in your Christian school, and you surely should be salt and light there. But what he wants you and I to catch is is that he didn't save us so that we could have that ministry only in the house of God. But for the most part that we would have that ministry in the earth and the world. Are you listening to me tonight? Ye are the salt of the earth. That's talking about the globe on which we live. God put us here and saved us, not just so we could go to heaven, and not just so we could sit in the house of God and enjoy what happened, and not just so we could enjoy Christianity. But He said, "I saved you so that you would be the salt in this earth. If I just wanted you to go to heaven, I'd have took you out as soon as you got saved. You're it." You listen to me if you're here tonight and you are truly saved and born again and have the Holy Spirit of God in you, you are the salt that this earth needs and is and is depending on. You are the light. Now, what is he saying there? I love salt, brother. How many of you love salt? I love salt, man. I'm a salt freak. I grew up in, in Haven, Kansas, next to Hutchins, Kansas. I have the carry Salt Mines there. Almost every year we went up there for our school trip. You know, they're really, they're really innovative. We're going to go there every year. <laughs> Done that and been there. Don't have a T-shirt to show for because I was too tight to buy one. But I always bought a chunk of rock salt. I always got one about an inch or an inch and a half by an inch, an inch and a half. And as soon as I'd get that salt rock, I'd start going. And I'd do that till I got home. I'd do that till my mom said, put that thing away. My tongue would be so red and raw. i put that thing up on the dresser and get up in the morning. I love salt. What I love about salt, it's salty. That's pretty simple, isn't it? I want to tell you something. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. You know what salt is? Listen to me. Salt is a substance that when it's introduced into anything, it makes a difference. You know what Jesus said? I saved you and I left you here so that any place you're introduced into the earth, you can make a difference. you take salt and you throw it out on ice it'll melt that ice you take salt you shake it in your food it'll make it worth eating my wife used to fix when we first got married and i just immediately take the salt shaker and she said i salted it i said i know but you didn't salt it enough Now listen, Jesus said if the salt hath lost its savor, it's fit for nothing. I would not pick up that salt shaker and do this, and then when I took a bite, no salt flavor. You know what I'd do? I'd throw that salt away. He's now I understand something. I saved you. And the reason I saved you is because you're supposed to be the salt of the earth. You're supposed to be the person that wherever you are, you make a difference. And if you don't have that power anymore, he says, you're fit for nothing. I didn't say those words. Jesus did. Amen. Except to be cast out and trodden underfoot of men. Well, I found that interesting statement, so I did some research. And I found that a lot of times in the Bible, they didn't use sodium chloride. They use what's called bituminous salt. And bituminous salt is found in soil. It's a result of plant vegetation and stuff. History records a man finding a large, uh, large amount of that one place, and he, and, he, and, he, and he collected it, and he put it in a warehouse. And unlike, they tell me that sodium chloride will never lose its saltiness. Put it in water, it's, it's going to lose its crystalline, but it's not going to lose its saltiness. But that's not true of bituminous salt. Bituminous salt, the salt they use in Jesus' day, uh, uh, that salt, if it got moisture in it, it would lose its savor. It didn't taste salty anymore. So this guy got a bunch of it. When he went to sell it, he went into his uh, storehouse, and he took some, and he went like this, and had absolutely no favor. He could not sell it for a penny. Nothing. I found out something interesting about that salt. Though it had no savor, it still could kill vegetation. Did you know if you put salt on vegetation, it'll kill it? And so they would never take that salt and throw it out in the yard. They took that salt and they used it for road pavement. In fact, I read that when Jesus was in the temple, there were some slick areas in the temple and they used salt on the floor to suck up the moisture. And as Jesus teaches in the temple, he's teaching there with salt that was not worth having on your table or anything else, but they threw it on the floor of the temple so men could Folks, I think we ought to get this lesson that if you're saved here tonight, that God is looking down at your life and seeing if you're making a difference. And if you're not, he's probably looking down saying, you know what? I, I, and I don't think he's a mean God. He's not saying this to be mean, but he's saying it so we'll okay, wake up. If you're not making a difference, you're really fit for nothing. Light is a substance that's introduced to darkness to make a difference. This place has no windows. If we turned off the lights here in just a few moments and we cut down all the exit signs, it'd get pretty dark in here, wouldn't it? I <laughs> don't about you, but I don't like that. I, mean, I don't mind it being dark where I'm sleeping, when I know where I'm sleeping. But I don't like being in a place with a bunch of people. And it gets dark, <laughs> Whoa. and some guy in the usher come running in here with a little bitty flashlight and start shining it on the floor, and I say, man, hallelujah. I can get out of here. God is saying, Jesus is saying to you and I that are saved, he said, I left you here to be the light of the world. The whole world was lost in the darkness. The light of the world is Jesus, but you know, he went back to heaven. While he was here, he said, I am the light. And when he left, he said, now you're the light. I, the light Jesus, have gone out, and now you're the light. And he said, nobody in their right mind takes and lights a candle and then puts a basket over it so it can't do any good. And he says, you as Christians, have the light. You have it how to show people to get out of darkness. But he said, many of you, what you've done is you've hidden your light. You've gone to work, and nobody knows you're a Christian. You've gone to school, and nobody knows you're saved. You've not hidden your light. you got it hid. Boy, sure hope they don't find out I'm a Christian. The story was said of a young man up in the north Northwestern up where marks go and pray for him i'm just kidding I'm having fun. This guy decided in the summer in the youth group he was going to go work in the lumber camps. His youth group got real concerned. You know lumber camps are bad places. those are drinking cussing. And they started praying for him. And they said, we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for you. and we'll pray for you. And they went to the railroad station to see him off. And they said, we're going to be praying for you. We're going to be praying for you. Uh, when you. When they find out you're a Christian, we're going to be praying for you. They prayed for him. He'd come back at the end of the summer. They're waiting at the train station. He walked off the train. And they said, how was he? He said, oh, it was great. And they said, what happened when they found out you're a Christian? I never told them. Here's the question tonight. Are you making a difference in your world? Are you making a difference in your neighborhood? Listen to him. I try to help you. I I believe so in my heart. You're not just in that house because you wanted to be there. You're in that neighborhood because God wanted you to be there. Come on, help me out. And I just wonder tonight how many of us have made any difference in our neighborhood. Have you ever talked to your neighbors about Jesus? Well, my neighbors are kind of rough. I know they are. So are mine. I know all about being scared. I know more about it than any of you know. I'm the most scared person in the world. I was so introverted when I was a boy, I could look nobody in the eyeball. Nobody. I could talk to nobody, not even the people I knew. When God started talking to me about talking about people about Jesus, I thought, God, how in the world? Are you making a difference at your job? What a sad thing to work at some place for 35 years, walk out, and not one person know much about Jesus. My mom, we didn't grow up in a church that really had soul winning, but we all know if we're saved that people need Jesus. Can I get an amen right there? And my mom, I don't think my mom ever knocked a door in her life, but she worked for the Ford dealership, and she worked in the parts department, and the head of the parts department was a guy by the name of Mike Brown. And Mike was a Lutheran guy, and he'd like to drink. It's okay to drink beer. He'd go in on the weekend, he'd drink. And he and his wife would get to fight. And he'd come home, he'd come to work every Monday, and my mom would say, how'd it go, Mike? Oh, man, my wife and I are fighting and carrying on. And my mom would say, you know, Mike, you just need to get saved. Next Monday, Mike, you just need to get saved. Finally, one Monday, Mike came in, he walked in, and Mom said, had a different look on his face. My mom said, how'd it go this week? He said, Jesse, guess what? I decided not to go to my church this Sunday. We went to a little Baptist church down the road, and I trusted Christ as my Savior. Now, my mama is not a door-to-door, in-your-face, confrontational soul winner, and I'm not saying that's what you need to be either, though I think it'd be a good thing to do, amen. But wherever God has put you, why don't you be a light? I'm criticized because my wife is a special ed parent in the public schools. Can I tell you something? We have turned separation into isolation. And I'm going to just say it's pretty sad if you're such a weak Christian, you can't say no to a Bud Dumber. I mean Budweiser. You're a pretty sad Christian if you can't say no to a smoke. Now, I understand somebody may have been an addict, and I'm talking a different story, but it's sad to me that we have to pull out of the world so we can live holy. We are in the world. We're not of the world. Jesus never prayed that we be taken out of the world, but that we be kept from the evil that's in the world. And he said, pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Get some guts and stand up for Jesus. Have the guts to not be like the rest of them. Let them know there's somebody in the world different. Most people <laughs> want our Christianity because we're no different on the job than they are. If you're around there cussing, you ought to do something about it. Amen. Well, they get offended. Well, you don't have to be offensive, but if you stand and they get offended, blessed are you. The story was told, a young man at Howes Anderson College went to work at a metal shop. All the dirty pictures and everything goes with that. And the guy next to him has had a foul mouth. He came into work one day and he said, guy, I'm going to tell you something now. I'm going to make a deal with you. I'm going to just let you know what's going to happen. You cuss, I preach. The guy let one rip, he jumped up on his bench. I better not jump on the furniture, Amen. He jumped up on his bench and said, I can have your attention. Everybody wants you to listen. God's word said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The guy's going, Hey, be quiet, be quiet. He said, You stop cussing. I'll stop preaching. You making a difference in your school? My wife is in a public school, they all know she's a Christian. And after she got there, a bunch of them had enough courage to start saying, I'm a Christian too. And when she's dealing with those little kids and they say billions and billions of years ago, she said, that's not true. God created that. Well, she'll lose her job. Well, she might. But if that's all you're worried about instead of honoring God, maybe you ought to get your life right. Amen. 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 I told you I was a humanist. I realized what I was doing. I started teaching abstinence, public school. And one day the principal came to me and said, Brother Houston, I want to have you in my office in the morning. I want to know what you're teaching about sex education. Okay. I went home and I told my wife, let's pray. <laughs> I may not have a job in the morning. So I walk in, I sat down, and the principal said, I'm glad you're here. What are you teaching about sex education? I said, abstinence. He said, okay. You can go. Here's what I think happened, a true speaking in tongues. I said, abstinence, and he heard sex education. (laughs) I don't know (laughs) that. All I know is I got my job, And I got to tell a lot of young fellas and young ladies, a lot of young fellas, that's all all I taught. You're not supposed to do that before marriage. If you never do that, you don't have to worry about a social disease. never have to worry about having a child that you're going to have to deal with, make a decision over. I did the exact same thing with alcohol and drugs. I'm not going to tell you how it affects you because then you're going to want to go and find out. Hello, I'm going to tell you if you never drink alcohol, you'll never become a drunk. These lips, though I was a wicked Christian, these lips have never drunk a beer. There has never been a marijuana cigarette go to my mouth. And I wasn't a good Christian. I'm going to tell you what, I knew what was right. I went to public school. My friends were not lost. They were good guys for the most part. We'd hang out. You know what you do in Haven, Ken? I got to get going here. We, you know, hang out in Haven, Kent. You know what you do for fun? You drag main. Drag Maine's two blocks long. Get in your little car and put it in granny gear. Wave it. Everybody goes by. We'd get bored with that. We'd get in a car and sit on the dip, which was my dad's gas station car. A car could be up like this. We could sit down like this, see everybody. And almost without. About every month or so, when I'm say, "Hey, let's go to Hutch and go to a bar," and I'd say, "Take me to my car." That's all I'd say. You know what they say? No, no, not, no. Just take me to your car. I'm not going with you. You know about most of the time ninety nine percent time they didn't go drink. I'm just talking about making a difference, folks. Make a difference. I'm going to quit here, but here's what I believe is on the tombstone of most Christians when they die. Here lies Ted Houston. He was born, he lived, he got born again, he got things, and he died. I'm not trying to be critical, but I believe that's the majority of Christians. We were born, praise God. We lived, hallelujah. Aren't you glad? Life's wonderful. We got saved, whoa, and then we got things, and we died. Not one soul with which to greet him. Must I go in empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior so? Not one soul with which to greet him. Must I empty-handed go? Not one person's life affected that they could simply say, you know what, it was that man, it was that woman who made the difference in my life. You know, God is in the difference making, but he can't do it without you and I being the ones who are the salt and the light. You know, I have preached with a lot of intensity here. And I'll tell you why. Because I believe that we need to make more of a difference than we're making. Not that we're not making, this is a great church, you're making a difference. But we're not making enough difference. And all of us need to determine, God, you've spoken to our heart about doing this. And Lord, I know it's going to make a difference. And Lord, I want to be somebody that makes more of a difference. Always making more of a difference. An athlete is never satisfied. I got to score more touchdowns. I got to lift more weights. Paul said we ought to to approach the Christian life as as an athlete. So run that you may obtain. Making a difference. Make a difference. Make a difference. We ought to make a difference by doing more soul winning. The Bible says. So much the more I see a day approaching. Here's what Christians are doing today. We are backing up and doing less. Churches today are doing less than churches did 10 years ago. And we should not be doing less. I'll tell you what. I'm only 64 in July. <laughs> I really feel like I'm about 25. But I know I can't do what I used to. But I'm determined to do more, not less. Jesus said, Occupy till I come. Don't look for a way to do less, have less of an impact. Look for a way to have more of an impact than you've ever had. Hunger for more souls to be saved than you've ever seen saved. Hunger for more opportunities to be a light and a salt. And let's make a difference in this world. Let's stand with our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Father in heaven, We've had a great week, and you've spoken to hearts, and I'm grateful.